I'm going to read the Bible for us now. It should be on one of your pages. It happens at that time, Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adolamite, whose name was Hira. There, Judah saw a daughter of a certain Canaanite, whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her, and she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Oni. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was a Chesed, uh, was in Chesed when she was born. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur was Judah's firstborn, uh, Judah's firstborn was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform a duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's household. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah, to his sheep, sheep shearers. He and his friend Hira, the Adolamite. And when Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is going up to Tamar to shear his sheep. She took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up and sat at the entrance to Anaim, which is on the road to Tamar. For she saw that Sheila was grown up, and she had not been given to him in marriage. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, and taking off her, ba her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. When Judah sent the young goat by his friends, the Adolamite, to take back the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. 
And he asked the men of the place, Where is the cult prostitute who is at a name at the roadside? And then they said, No cult prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Also, the men of the place said, No cult prostitute has been here. And Judah replied, Let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. You see, I sent this young goat, and you did not find her. About three months later, <coughs> Judah was told, Tama, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, Bring her out and let her be burned. And she was, as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. Then Judah identified them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Sheila. And he did not know her again. When the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb. And when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, This one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out. And she said, What a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterwards, his brother came out with a scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah. There's never a dull moment in Has to be one of the top shelf passages in the Bible for abuse, neglect, immorality, all in one chapter. Uh, I was going to get you guys to spend some time on your tables, sort of identifying the abuse, neglect, immorality, and uh, trying to put it all together and explain it. Uh, I have mercy on you, and we're sort of short of time today, so I'm just going to have to talk. Unfortunately, uh, I can get the uh, let off of having to explain it. Uh, let me add my great book, have said, and fantastic Make the most of catching up with them. Uh, you guys are going to be a team this afternoon as well, and tomorrow. Fantastic. Get a chance to see them last night, then think. But this passage, Genesis 38, it's all wrong, uh, it's disturbing. And most of the neglect and the abuse comes at the hands of a man, Judah, Jacob's son. The question as I read it in the context of Genesis is. Why is it here in Genesis? A quarter of the book of Genesis revolves around Jacob's two sons, two of Jacob's sons, Judah and Joseph, from chapter 37 and onwards. Uh, you barely notice one of them, except for this chapter, where he's the central figure. 
The strange thing about this chapter, apart from the fact that it's strange with what happens in it, is it occurs right in the middle of the story about Joseph. And so my question as I read it is, why is this chapter here in Genesis? The fact that they're at all disturbing, why in the middle of the account of Joseph? give you a bit of context. All the chapters from chapter 37 onwards are about Jacob's offspring. And just a clue to the way that Genesis is put together, the writer of Genesis doesn't use numbered chapters like we've got in our Bible. But what he puts in is these are the generations of, and then you know that this is like a new chapter. So back in the very beginning, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. And so, all the way through, Abraham, Isaac, chapter 37, prior to this, begins with, these are the generations of Jacob. Next verse, says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. So chapter 37 onward begins the story of the generations of Jacob, beginning with Joseph. You, you may know that story. Uh, I'll recap some of the highlights for you. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to lead us in prayer. As God's speaking to us in His Word, I'm going to ask God to pick up us understanding. Lord, thanks for Your Word to us. I pray that as we try to understand what You're speaking to us today, may give us open hearts and minds to hear You speak. Help me to be able to speak it well, and for us to be able to hear, understand, and obey. Amen. So, the chapter you don't have in front of you, chapter 37, begins with, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. And that chapter goes on to tell us that Joseph is Jacob's favourite. And Joseph, Joseph is most loved by Jacob. Joseph received the coat of many colours from his father, the others did Joseph, the 17-year-old spoiled brat, tells his dad that his older adult brothers, who may well have their, all their own families going out, Joseph tells his dad that they're not doing a very good job, his 17-year-old brat. Joseph has not one dream, but two dreams that he tells his brothers that they will, including his dad, one day bow down and worship him. That's 17-year-old Joseph. Joseph's brothers, take Joseph's brothers take the opportunity, far from home, to kill him. Reuben Elvis tries to save him, but fails. And another of the older brothers takes the lead, Judah. And this is what he says to his brothers. Joseph at this time is now in a pit, uh, waiting to die. Judah says to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listened to him. The Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, lifted him up out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. Well, there you go. That's looking after his brother, isn't it? 
hatred, jealousy, the plan to kill, turns to kidnap, slavery, selling into slavery. And so the famous story of Joseph in Egypt actually doesn't continue at this point like you might expect it to. It takes another whole chapter for it to continue. Instead, what we have in the story is this chapter that was read for us today. Because Joseph's story doesn't continue. Judah's story here in chapter 38 breaks in on Joseph's story. And I'm calling it a breach. Judah's breach. Uh, a breach means to, like, to break out like a flood. You know, the river breaches its banks and floods out over. Uh, it's used this way at the end of the chapter. But conveniently in English, it also means to break out over, cross a boundary, you know, to breach one of the laws of the land, breach a relationship. And we see this sort of breach happening in chapter 38. And Judah, very cheaply, his story breaches in on Joseph's story. Because chapter 39 flows seamlessly from chapter 37. So why does this story of Judah and Kamehameha totally unrelated to anything that happens with Joseph in Egypt, it would seem, break in here. Why? Not quite sure. But let's look at it and see if we can understand uh, this bridge, this story. Firstly, we see, and I'm going to point two on the outline, it's a bridge of family. And I'm going to have to move fairly quickly, so I have to catch all this. It's a bridge of family, particularly uh, his grandfather Abraham, and so his great grandfather Abraham and grandfather Isaac. If you remember, when it comes to them getting a, a wife, both of them were very clear on how you do it. From Genesis 24, uh, Abraham was advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in, in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, Put your hand under my thigh that I may swear you by the Lord, the God of heaven among of, of heaven and earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But go back to the country of my kindred and take a wife from, for my son Isaac. Later on, Isaac says to Jacob, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise and go to Padnaram, to the house of Bethuel and take as your wife from there one of the joys of the land. Abraham and his sons are not to take wives from amongst the Canaanites. What does Judah do here? He breaches that family line and goes off to Canaan and takes the daughter of Shua, who's a Canaanite, to be his wife. And she conceived and bore a son, and very creatively, he called his name, <laughs> Something's going wrong. Uh, he married a Canaanite and then called his son Ur. All up, he has three sons. The youngest boy was named Sheila. <laughs> it's getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> Not quite so much funny in the original, it's pronounced Sheila. But we'll go with Sheila. Uh, what problems are caused? Well, there's also a breach of responsibility and trust. Judah gets a wife for birth called Tamar, and actually, uh, it is pronounced Tamar. I'm going to go with our English like Tamar. Uh, 
We're not told where she comes from, but I'm convinced that she's from outside the family, from Canaan, that is. Her, the eldest, is killed by the Lord for his wickedness. Because according to the custom, it's the job of the younger brother to have children for his brother, if older brother, if he dies. So verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her, and raise up her offspring, raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. The Lord, he put him to death also. Ur is dead. Onan is dead. Onan breaches his responsibility uh, to his older brother to provide children for his older brother. Uh, on the side, this passage in the past, today I'm not sure it's been used to teach against masturbation. This is the passage. It was called Onanism. People still call it that. And that's why Onan was put to death. That's not why he was put to death. He was put to death because he refuses to provide children for his dead brother. The wickedness of Onan is also in his abuse of his dead brother and Lord's wife, Tamar. It's hinted at in verse 9 when it says, Whenever he went into Tamar, that is, he repeatedly abused Tamar. The abuse being not seeking to provide children for her or his, or his dead brother-in-law and his dead brother. And the Lord puts him to death. This mistreatment of Tamar is compounded by Judah because Judah blames Tamar the victim. He fears that his youngest Sheila, his life's in danger, thinking that Tamar is the reason why the oldest two brothers died. So he turns her away, saying, go back to your father's house and be a widow there until Sheila grows up. Too young to marry. And she goes and waits. And waits. And waits. And Judah never comes back. Tamar is neglected by Judah. She's a widow of Ur who has no place in the family without children. Ur has no inheritance. It's not possible for her to marry any others. She remains a widow in her father's house with no inheritance in Judah's family. And so she takes matters into her own hands, dresses as a prostitute where Judah is staying. Judah takes the bait. Tamar takes his credit card ID and falls pregnant to her father in law. You don't realise that it's his daughter in Judah sends payment to Tamar, but goes. Uh, but she's nowhere to be And she's taken off with his ID. Three months later, she's found to be pregnant. So, verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told. Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And Judah said, bring her out and let her go. And she comes out and she says, 
I'm pregnant to the guy who owns these things and presents Judas star, his signet, and his cord. And it all falls into place for Judah. The only good thing that he says, he says in verse 26, Judah identified him and said, She is more righteous than I, since I did not give her my son Shimon. Judah breaches trust, responsibility, leading to the abuse and neglect of Tamar. He gave her no options for her life but to prostitute herself. And Judah's final assessment was right. She was more righteous than he. Not righteous because she deceived Judah, but righteous because she stayed faithful to the responsibilities that she knew were hers. To her dead husband, providing children for him, waiting and waiting for the son of Sheila who would never come to be married to her. But further than righteous in those ways, she's righteous in ways that she will never know until much later. Because she gives birth to the one who's in the chosen line of God's promise, the son who is born, Perez. And so we see Perez's breach. Tamar is pregnant with twins. Giving birth, uh, one puts their hand out. Bit of a weird situation. I don't know if this is a common thing in twins, giving birth to twins. Uh, but one puts his hand out. I think it's a bit like, I'm first, you know, across the line. Uh, and the midwife ties a piece of string, scarlet string, around his hand. Uh, and he pulls the hand, his hand back in. But as he does that, you'd expect him coming out. Uh, the other one butts in and says, no, I'm first. And Perez is born first. And Tamar said, what a breach you have made of yourself. What a, what a breaking in or a breaking out and taking over that you've made for yourself. He breaks out over his brother Zerah, who had a scarlet thread around his And Perez, meaning breaking out, is the same word used by the Lord when the Lord revealed himself to Jacob last week, in the passage last week, chapter 28, 14. When God first appeared to Jacob, when he's on his way off to Laban and he's sleeping on a rock, he says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall perish, you shall spread abroad, break out and flood out to the west and to the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the names be blessed. And Perez, they do, in Egypt, through the line of Perez. Such that by the time of Ruth, if you know the person of Ruth, many centuries later, the elders of, in the town where Ruth and Boaz are about to be married, they say to Boaz about Ruth, this is Ruth 4 verse 12, and may your house be like the house of Herod's, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. That is, Herod's is known for his great offspring. Uh, being the one through whom God's promise would come. 
And indeed, it's through the Gentile woman, Ruth, descended from the Gentile woman, Tamar, that God continues his sovereign plan for the line of Judah, the David, the king. On the way to the sovereign king, Jesus. So amazing and unusual. So amazing and unusual is this happening that Matthew, if you fast forward all the way all the way to the New Testament, Matthew in his first chapter, in the genealogy of in the genealogy of Jesus, includes these women. The only women to be included in the genealogy of Jesus are these Gentile women. Tamar, Ruth, and Rahab, who was a prostitute at the time of the conquest of the land. Women who are abused, neglected, not worth it in the eyes of the world around. They are the ones who become front and centre in both points to bring about a saving Jesus. That's the God who's at work in the background. You would think that Judah, with his plans, the way he goes about doing his things, he's in the one in control, using his power amongst his brothers to bring abuse and neglect to him and try to kill and sell his brother to neglect his daughter-in-law. You would think that he's the one in But God, through those who are neglected, mistreated. It brings about purpose and good purposes. This week has seen the welcome demise of that man, Harvey Weinstein, or Weinstein, with his misuse of power and abuse of women. You may have heard of I've not heard uh, anything else, but I've seen, uh, I've not seen, but I have heard about the, the Me Too hashtag where many women have added their names to the, the list of those who have been abused, taken advantage of. And it's brave and it's commendable for the relatively powerful women in Hollywood to take action. But it's also worth remembering that there are many, many others who are powerless, who live in fear that such that they do not dare post me too on their feet, knowing what may happen. You're in that position of being used or taking advantage of not take action like Tamar, but like Tamar, do something about them. Uh, it's not right to suffer in silence when things can be different. And talk with uh, me, mostly it affects um, women. Very happy to come talk to her if you want to talk about abuses to you. But often the past can't be remedied. Your perpetrator brought to justice, though we may try. What we see in chapter 38 is that while brutality and abuse and immorality multiplies, at the hand of men, like 
Judah, so God's mercy expands and breaks out all the more, such that he brings the Saviour, Jesus. Jesus, who wasn't sexually abused or neglected, but he was blindly faithful. He was hit. He was brutally beaten. He was killed. And yet, in that very day, God brings about the salvation of humanity through the neglect of To deal with sin, to bring judgment on sin through the very act of neglect and death and brought upon Jesus. Friend, this is the God who revealed himself in the very beginning. That's the God who deals with sin, who deals with the awfulness of life, not hiding it under the carpet, not putting away it without going back. And friends, this is the God who presented to us right from the very beginning. Why is this chapter right here in the middle of the story of Joseph like this? We'll have to come back next week. Find out how it fits in. For now, we're going to pray. I'm going to leave this in prayer, and then Adam's going to jump in. And come down. Lord, thank you for showing us how you work in amongst the affairs of men. Lord, you, you do not let sin go unpunished. You do not let sin have its way. But Lord, we thank you that we see in Jesus that you have dealt with sin. That you brought your justice, but you've also brought salvation to the world. We thank you for using people who are uh, who are broken and abused or using people to be your chosen ones. But we thank you for the, the, the way that we see your sovereign hand at work. I pray that we might continue to see your sovereign hand at work through this day in all um, situations of life and to see you working uh, through the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for the many Christian groups there. Um, 
particularly for the Red Christian community. Pray for that upcoming event. Faith in the building that. <coughs> Pray that the conversation there bear much fruit and that build comes ready to the world. Now, I pray for this. Thank you.